We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 282 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and today is a special day. It's a thank you show to our patrons. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with three of our patrons about their expectations for the season as they help me with listener questions. But before I introduce our first patron, I want to say thank you to Barca Guy NYC, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Lurkin Kule, and Jersey Joe Metz for answering the call and writing up some of those nice Apple reviews that I asked for last week. So I appreciate you four. But... Now it's time for our first patron. And thank you to the first of three. One of the longest tenured and a gentleman who longtime listeners may remember from previous listener shows. It is Mike Crimmins. Thanks for rejoining the show, Mike. Thanks for having me, Dan. It's great to be here. Yeah, Mike, you and I go back and forth on email plenty. It's, it's actually difficult because we'll send an email to each other. Then we'll go onto the Patreon app and continue the conversation. And I'm glad that we're finally just being able to talk person to person now because there is a bit of news today. And you and I right now are going to cover the Champions League draw. We're going to cover the, the Femini cleaning house or cleaning up at the UEFA Awards. And we're also going to talk a little bit about the transfer market and the club's finances, all that, all that put together because we're talking through Kylian Mbappe and Ronaldo. And for once, the transfer market was a buzz and Barcelona were just <laughs> sitting on the sidelines. And I guess that was fine today. But let's start with the Champions League draw. It's Bayern Munich, it's Benfica, and it's Dinamo Kiev. When you saw the draw, what were your initial thoughts? My initial thought was we're either going to crumble again or we, or we have a chance to exercise some demons here um, and show that we've grown mentally stronger in the you know two years or year and a half since the 8-2. I feel like it's a good opportunity for this club. I think this is a stronger team mentally than we had then. I think, you know, Koeman's Barca is a bit, a bit tougher and has grown a little bit in that regard compared to Setien's. So I'm okay with it. I hope we don't get embarrassed. I don't think we will. Memphis, I think, is a big part of that. He brings an attitude and an edge to this team and a confidence. And, of course, he wasn't part of that. Um, I think Frankie de Jong has become more of a, of a leader of this team since then. Um, I think he's ready to flex, flex in that regard as well. So, you know, I wasn't looking for Bayern. But now that, but now that they're there, I think, you know, I think it'll be okay. And I hope we, I hope we rise to the occasion and show that we're, you know, we've, grown, we've grown tougher since then. Yeah, I mean, you look at what the group means. And for Barcelona, they know that if they're going to advance in a Champions League, it doesn't matter if you win your group or you, who cares if you're out in the round of eight or the round of 16. I mean, it doesn't really matter unless you're out of the round of 16 year after year after year after year. And that says that you're not ready to take the next step. But if now the Barcelona, when they were always making the semifinals, again, now if they're just at least making the knockout, that's what you need to be. You don't want to have to face Europa League or get embarrassed in that kind of thing. And that means that 
no offense to Dinamo Kiev, but last season, Mateus Fernandez played his only football against them. So it's not like Dinamo Kiev has jumped that much uh, as, as a better, more talented team. Then Conrad De La Fuente also made his Barca debut against Dinamo Kiev, two, two players that, are, again, are no longer at the club. And then Benfica, remember, they didn't win the Portuguese league last year. For once, they actually had a down year, if you will, sporting CP. That's how they got into pot one. So Benfica seems like a strong pot, pot three team, but they're actually kind of in a struggling position, even financially. They lost a bunch of their pieces. And while they have started the Portuguese, uh, Portuguese league perfect and Jorge Jesus is back again, and he seems to have them organized. I don't know how much actual top level talent they really, really, truly have. They brought in a, a, a new forward or striker, if you will. They've got a few players injured, but they brought in a new Ukrainian striker, Roman Yaramchuk, who's been around for a little while, 25 year old, but we'll see if he can really take over and be their leading goal scorer. And I'm a little skeptical about, about what they can do. Darwin Nunez, a player who's young, who's been good for a while, but still, I, they don't have any real names that scare me, even with the likes of PK and Lingley and Eric Garcia and along that back line. Barcelona should, and I say this very strongly in this case, they should get out of this group just fine, even if they don't win it. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, we could have we could have run up against some tough pot four or pot three teams like Atalanta yeah. or RB Leipzig or AC Milan. Yep. So, I mean, we should we should clearly advance out of this group. And and frankly, this year, if you win, you win your group, your reward might be PSG or Man City because one of those teams is coming in second. So, exactly. um, you know, so hey. I hope we can do that. And I hope we can do it without embarrassing ourselves against Bayern and really competing, you know, sort of like we did in the second leg against PSG last year and uh, and then leave the group and enter the round of 16 with some confidence as the team sort of comes together. Right. Yeah, of course, you're going to hear 8-2. And it's, it's weird because when you look at a Champions League draw, you're watching it on social media, watch it in live time come out. But the players themselves don't care about the narratives. For Bayern, if anything, they're trying to continue the same project that they've had because they have not had a changing of the guard. And Barcelona are kind of in the process of changing the guard. So there might be a different feel in that locker room. And Memphis Dubai, as I always say, I mean, he is continually proving to be that different that different feel, that different flavor that Barca has this year. And yeah, Ronald Koeman is not the manager that, that lost against A2 to Bayern. So it's, it, it's a lot of, a lot of changes. There's a new president, a new star forward, a new, almost, you know, the only players that are the same are the ones that, that we, we know about and talk about, but all right. So Champions League draw, let's put that in a rearview mirror because Mike, I'm excited to talk to you about the fact that at the UEFA, as boring as the group draw, uh, the group uh, draw is, and as much news as that makes, if you're actually a supporter of women's football, and you weren't a Barca supporter, you were extremely bored by that ceremony because there was a lot of Lagrana there. Alexei Puteas, I mean, I feel vindicated. I've been telling everybody I can about women's football that, hey, she's going to win the best player in the world. She is the best player in the world right now, last year at the age of 27. So she wins best midfielder and best player. Remember, this is just UEFA as well. So she's just Champions League, but she was the best player in Spain, in Champions League, wherever it was. Uh, Jenny gets best forward. Irene Paredes. Barca, I love how they're taking credit for that, though she did all of her work for PSG, obviously, <laughs> and then was just signed by Barcelona. And then Sandra Panos won best goalkeeper. So Barcelona cleans house. And then Luis Cortez. He wins best goal, best coach, and he's no longer at the club. So, I mean, that if, if anything, the Luis Cortez point, Mike, proves that D Barca is still hungry. I mean, it's just it's, it's incredible that they can sweep all those awards, uh, awards and you can tell that this is just the beginning of the projects they want to build. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I, I you know, I, I'm a fan of football and I, I like to watch good football and Barca women played unbelievable football over the last the last year. I mean, I think I. I I don't, I don't think you could possibly vote for a different goalkeeper when you have a, a goalkeeper on a team that gave up five goals all year long, right? <laughs> so, right? 
But look, Alexia, Jenny Hermosa, Leaky Martins, I think were the top three vote getters um, for best player. They're all special players. The team, the team is is super deep. I saw I saw Leaky play actually um, when when the Netherlands played the U.S. Mm-hmm. women in the semifinal of the World Cup two years ago in Lyon. I was there for for both the semis and the and the final. So uh, with my with my wife and two daughters, you know, who played football when they were younger as well. So you know, I I think this is a I think this dominant women's team that Barca has right now has really arrived at a very opportune time for Barca. You know, the club needs success, the club needs respect, and the club needs revenue wherever it can find it. And I think, uh, and I hope, I guess I should say, I hope that the new leadership, Laporta and the board, uh, lean into the women's team and really, really put the support behind them in, in marketing and trying to get them on into Camp Nou for some big games, you know, as the, as the fans come back. Um, do everything they can to sell those tickets and, and, and make some of those players the face of the team. Uh, not, not, not to the exclusion of the men's club, obviously, but as a compliment to it, you know, as a Barca, as a Barca fan, whether you're a women's football fan or not, you should be, you should be supporting this women's team and hope that the women's team play a prominent role in the future, because there is a massive opportunity for, um, for Barcelona in women's football and they've got a head start. They've got the jump now. Um, you know, it was Lyon and, and Wolfsburg and, uh, and I don't know, Chelsea, I guess, uh, you know, who kind of had the upper hand there for a while, especially Lyon. And now I think Barca's taken that away from them. And, and just, at a, just at a moment when the sport could really explode. Well, yeah, as I said, I mean, parity is a good thing. And Spain, the, the domestic campaign is where I'm worried about just because of the it looked for a second there that it was going to be. It professionalized. It looked like there was going to be a bit of investment all around, but it is funny to think too that uh, Mappy Leon is technically the first professional transfer made in Spanish football, and she was signed for Barca in 2017, and she was technically the first professional transfer. So it, again, we're still in such early days for women's football and professionalism in Europe. If anything, in the U.S., who also have their own fight, you know, as we know, to to, to get stadiums, to get field space, to get just the, the, the publicity and the marketing required to, to fill stadiums, which people will come with the proper channels, right? If they can get on TV and get those uh, the broadcast deals and those TV deals. But yeah, I mean, I think having Champions League on the same network as the Men's Champions League and kind of basically just keeping those things hand in hand are, are really helpful. And as far as the Barca Feminigo, they showed you not only by picking up Irene Paredes, but with Leon giving them a tough task in the, ACE, in the ICC, you know, they got third place, sure. But now having a challenge in Lyon and Wolfsburg and Chelsea women and Bayern Munich and PSG and Real Madrid. I mean, they're getting a little jealous too. So believe it or not, I know the Femini are that, that dominant, but they're going to have a tough hand because they have a, they're one or two injuries. They have a lot of players, Graham Hansen, we didn't mention, but Madi, we didn't mention Kerry Hamraoui, we didn't mention. And they also all three, all three of them finished in the top 10 in voting. And uh, even though Hamraoui has moved on, uh, Jonathan Guaraldez, he has a tough, tough task because Believe it or not, I mean, female players also have egos. And so that locker room is going to be tough. He's going to have to figure out how to make sure everybody gets theirs. And this two-month injury to Jenny Hermoso, I think, is a bit helpful to make sure the young players get their time now early in the season. And when the lights get brightest, then instead of Claudia Pena, she'll be coming off the bench. And then it'll be back to the Jenny Hermoso. So, But for now, hey, if Barca wants to begin this league campaign undefeated for a while, then they're going to rely on a 19, 20-year-old forwards in Bruno Velamala and Claudia Pena, as well as Asi Sadeshwala, who, you know, when she goes back to Africa, she is absolutely, the, not only is she the best African uh, footballer uh, as, on the female side for years and years and years. I mean, she really is, from an entire continent, <laughs> the best player. And yet, 
for Barcelona, she's like, oh, am I going to get off the bench before the 60th minute in this one, right? And so there's a lot of egos to kind of worry about. But if Geraldes can do that, then Barcelona, once again, are the favorites. They, they, they signed the best defender in the world. I can't reiterate that enough. And they have the best player in the world in Alexia right now. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be fun to watch. And it'll be fun to see, um, you know, how, this, how the team comes together and whether they can, they can pull a repeat of, of what they did last year. I hope so. I, I, think, I think it would be great for Barcelona. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans, after all, it's only pressure, you got this, Adidas. All right, Mike. So that's the fun stuff. So now we got to talk about the boring stuff and the less fun stuff. You know, you and I go back and forth a little bit about trying to break down and understand. You actually helped me. So for everybody listening, my Patreon, not only do they help me out financially, but Mike also helps me understand the finances sometimes about what Barcelona is going through or uh, trying to weed through the numbers with me. Really a big help there. So we are talking about the transfer market today and the fact that when you and I speak, Barca's individual financial problems I mean, when you say that they're sitting this one out with Kylian Mbappe going to Real Madrid, maybe, and Cristiano Ronaldo going to Man City, Barcelona are truly and, and unequivocally sitting this one out. And I know Kool-Aid's want them to get involved, but they shouldn't. And there's a reason why they're sitting this one out. And you and I were talking about even the transfers that Barcelona have to work on. We've all given up on Coutinho and MTT leaving. And now it's all about Ilash Moriba and how much can the club actually get from him, whether it's $20 million for Tottenham or wherever he goes. Yeah, I mean... So Mbappe is an interesting case with Real Madrid. And uh, I, I've had this argument for, for a long time with, um, you know, fellow, fellow Kules. So I actually want Mbappe to go to Madrid. And I, I think that may be an unpopular uh, opinion, but let me, let me see if I can back it up. I've argued for a long time that Real Madrid is not our enemy. Real Madrid is our nemesis. Real Madrid is our rival. And a nemesis is different than an enemy. Our enemies, and I've said this even before this summer, are PSG and the moneyed EPL clubs. Um, we, we, meaning we and Barcelona and Real Madrid, need each other to be strong to maintain uh, prominence in world football. And if you're not prominent in world football, then you're not going to be able to recruit players. You're not going to be able to attract those, those top talents. And right now, you know, with the, with the talent drain from La Liga this summer, I mean, not just Messi, but uh, so many top players have been, have been pulled away to, to the Premier League in, in particular that you know, there's a, there's a little bit of a risk of of stagnation in 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 La Liga, and uh, you know, Mbappe, somebody like Mbappe choosing Mbappe could go anywhere he wants. 
choosing to go to Real Madrid you means you mean something to Spanish football, not just for Real Madrid, but for Barcelona and and for um, the rest of the league. And I, I wrote I when I when we talked about me coming on today, I I looked back and I had a, I posted this in on April second. I said my dream scenario is that Madrid get Mbappe and Barca get Holland and they become the Messi versus Ronaldo of the next decade. Yeah, how could any fan of either team not want that? I mean, we and, you know. It may seem far-fetched right now that, that we would get Holland, but Mbappe going to Real Madrid absolutely increases our chances of getting Holland in my mind because it, it puts sort of Spanish football back on the map. And, 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 a, and a Holland-Mbappe rivalry, you know, could, would be great for both of those players. And I, and I, could see, I can see that just now. I can see it. Um, and some, some listeners might be saying, well, there's no way we're getting a Holland. Well, I, you know, Holland's not going to move this summer. He's going to move next summer. Uh, it looks like increasingly likely that he's going to stay at Dortmund and we will be in play for Holland. I do believe it um, that we, we will have room to, to make a big signing like that next summer. Um, it, it doesn't mean he'll come. I mean, he's going to, we're going to be competing with, with PSG and, and, and Chelsea and Man City and God knows who else, but you know, that have more money than us, but I think there can be an appeal made to, to Holland and his entourage and Minoriola, you know, who has, by all reports, a good relationship with Laporta um, and Mbappe at Madrid will help us get Holland. And, and even if it's not Holland, it's some other great player. It, it'll help Barca. And I know that may seem counterintuitive, but I truly believe that we're at a precarious moment right now with Real Madrid and Barcelona sort of slipping in the, in the pecking order in, in world football and La Liga in general. And somebody like Mbappe choosing to come to, to La Liga at this moment, I think would be fantastic. And it would be, Fantastic, not just for Real Madrid, but for Barcelona and the rest of the league. Yeah, Mike, it's interesting. We are at a watershed moment. I think to compare apples to oranges and try to look into the past has been difficult for me because even the group opponent in Benfica, Benfica in the early 60s too, there is a revolving door where it's not Real Madrid who are the world conquering team in the, in the early 60s. It's actually Benfica who wound up winning a few times in the 60s, the Champions League trophy. And they also kept popping back up occasionally throughout the decades. And yet there came this moment with the Portuguese league plus Benfica plus sporting CP where sure they could get the best young Portuguese talents, but they couldn't really attract other players from around other countries anymore. And I I think obviously the big money funding for certain clubs that you mentioned as well, not only PSG, but the premier league. uh, Absolutely. And then the fact that broadcast rights in the last 15 to 20 years went global. And that meant that money became incomprehensible. And then the transfer market explodes, obviously, with Neymar. So we are talking about unprecedented territory, where Real Madrid and Barcelona have for now 60 years, 60 years, been able to rely on the fact that they get to go to a guy's house. And obviously, 60 years ago is a little bit different because they're going to a a neighborhood in in Argentina and uh, for a player, whoever, and they get to knock on the door and say, hey, we're Barcelona, we're FC Barcelona. And that player signs up. And that happened for the last 60 years plus. I mean, now we're, yeah, we're really talking basically the 50s and the 60s, when those two clubs are able to do that. I mean, the way that Barcelona were able to attract all those Hungarian players when the Hungarian revolution happened and, and Kubala was already there and he was able to say, hey, <laughs> Kosius, hey, and then grab, grabbing his friends and bringing them over. But now trying to understand historically what happened to Benfica, why they can't attract talent on or think about Marseille even in the early 90s when they were able to attract some of the big French talents to win the Champions League and Juventus throughout the 90s. And now Bayern Munich, we know that the financial monopoly they basically have with those free transfers over the Bundesliga for you're right for Barcelona and Real Madrid. There's this moment when they could be left behind 
mm-hmm. and they have to do something. Something has to happen or Real Madrid and Barcelona will potentially be left behind because the question I ask is, do those two teams or how long will they have the prestige? Because Mike, you know this, at one point, there comes a point where money will talk. And it's why we, we yell about Ilas Moriba doing what he's doing. We yell about Umtiti and Coutinho, but in all of us can look in the mirror and say, if somebody did that to you, you would say the same thing. You would still play out your contract, living in the city of Barcelona, playing for such a big club, sure. We would all do those things, right? It's, it's hypocritical. But certainly, yeah, there is a moment, Mike, where I, I don't know if it's a generational thing or whatever it is, but are Barcelona and Real Madrid still going to be able to knock on doors and say, hey, are, and for Barcelona say, hey, we were the club of Messi, Iniesta, of Xavi. And Real Madrid is going to say, hey, you want a Champions League medal? We've got more than anybody else, right? Is there going to come a moment when that's going to change? I'm not sure if that prestige will matter, but it feels like the more global football gets and the more those, those, those numbers go higher and higher and higher, the more difficult those, those pitches are going to become. Yeah, I, I absolutely think that there's a danger of that. I mean, you know, the, the great footballers of the next, you know, 10 years um, will not remember when Barca last won the Champions League, you know? Right. Uh, you know, when these young kids come along and they're, you know, you want to buy this 22-year-old, you know, they're going to be thinking about Man City and, and Bayern and Chelsea and, you know, these other clubs. So, I mean, I, I do think that there's a huge risk of that. I mean, it, it, as long as – but there's still there's still time, you know, there's still yeah. time. I think, you know, that, but, 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 but now is, but now is the moment, you know, I mean, that, that danger is, is there and we're not, you know, Barcelona and Real Madrid, notwithstanding the fact that, you know, Florentino is going to splash out $200 million for Mbappe. We can't go out and buy, buy whoever we want now and outbid the other teams. We can't outbid the Petro clubs. We can't outbid Chelsea. You know, Madrid is only doing this because they haven't bought a, a single player in two years. All they've been doing right. is selling for two years, you know, and he, that's not repeatable. And obviously Barcelona needs, you know, needs to follow a different model here than has been followed over the last uh, eight to 10 years under Jose and Bartomeu. But again, I just, just to bring it back a little bit, I, it, Mbappe coming to Real Madrid is almost like a, just a godsend for the league. Because he's, you know, he's regarded as one of the top five players in the in the in the world, and he's, you know, uh, along with Holland, one of the top two young players in the world. And for that player to choose and want to come to the team in the league of whoever it is is really a godsend at the moment for the league, I think. And uh, I think we should all be rooting for it because, you know, we Barcelona is only going to be as strong as uh, the league is, and as strong as the rivalry with Real Madrid is. That's what that's what makes Barcelona relevant. Uh, makes each other we make each other relevant um, mm-hmm. in this in this new paradigm where we're competing with uh, literal countries for for players. And Bobby, there's a difference between his talent as a player and his talent as a marketable talent, or, or not even talent as a marketable talent. You know what I'm saying? But his his ability to be a, a, a market chip as opposed to just being a talent. Because I mean, people are saying this true that if Mbappe comes now, he could leave next summer on a free, sure. But if Madrid get him now, they can immediately slap a million jerseys out into the world to, you know, continue to reinforce that brand. Even though the club doesn't get that much on jersey sales. Sure. The cool thing about Madrid, and I say the cool thing about Madrid for Kool-Aid is that we know that their defense is, is, is garbage. Levante, Levante showed us that last week that they're not, I mean, they got a great attack. Sure. You add Mbappe to that attack and they're winning games six, nothing. Sure. But also Levante might continue to get three, four or five goals on their defense. And that's going to happen too. So the fact that, 
Florentino Perez is not reinforcing the problems in his squad, that's great for Barcelona, but he is reinforcing the marketability of Madrid. And that, you're right, that's fine because that yeah. supports Barcelona without Madrid getting any better, in my opinion. I mean, Mbappe get, makes them better. It, it, it raises their ceiling, sure. But I, I always say it, and I feel bad that it's, it's not the pressure on, on Fatih. Take your time. I always say, take your time. But I mean, the ceiling of Fatih and the ceiling of Mbappe isn't that different. Yeah, I, I well, I agree with that in the in the long run. I hope, God, we hope, right? We hope, yeah, yeah. As if you just look at it, putting aside the, the point I just made about about the league and 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 us sort of relying on Madrid and Madrid relying on us to to to, to maintain sort of top level relevance, you know, just in terms of competition, there's a, there's better ways to spend that two hundred million dollars, right? right? I mean, you could you could reinforce the, you could reinforce the defense and and still you know bring in Mbappe next year. So I think it's good for, for Barcelona, for the reasons I just said, it's good for the league and sort of like, it, it's good. It's, it's good in all those respects, but I also think it's kind of good that this is how they're going to spend their $200 million. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I think football talent in, in general is going back to a place where it was in the early nineties, where there've been times throughout history where you felt the presence of Johan Cruyff, you felt the presence of Puskas, you felt the presence of Diego Maradona. These figures kind of loomed over all of what football was. And now I think you're in a football in general is in a precarious time where with Messi and Ronaldo on their very last legs, finding out because Neymar wasn't that next one, right? He was christened to be. Now there's many next ones. There is Holland and Mbappe and Neymar is now 28 years old, right? And there's potentially Fatih and Pedri. And I mean, Pedri, good luck. That's going to be one of the things that Barca marketing department is going to really have to work on is making him as marketable as he is. But hey, Iniesta didn't have to be as marketable as he was. And he sold a lot of jerseys too. But yeah, so like you, I think football is going to a place in terms of these leagues, even that they've got to put in the legwork because they just don't, they're not going to have two of the five greatest players of all time in Ronaldo and Messi, because the, even Ronaldo with Man United was such a marketable star at the time goes to Real Madrid, you know, blows everything up. And then he even helps out Juventus late on because he's still Cristiano Ronaldo. And still he adds something to the Serie A, just the injection of excitement when he, when he arrives. And so how many players are there in world football from the ages now of 18 to 26 who are going to be taking over or going, you have to sell jerseys. You still have to sell video games. You still have to sell broadcasting rights. So somebody has to be marketing, uh, marketed. And that's the interesting quandary about Antoine Griezmann on Barcelona that I'm going to talk about with some of our other patrons later. But that's the quandary about Antoine Griezmann that we're almost, I feel like we're almost being gaslit into thinking that he is this marketable, marketable star when his game is the opposite of a marketable player. And yet his personality is supposed to be the thing that sells all the jerseys. But if it's not international football, what he does with France, I don't, I, I, I just don't see it. I, I just, Atletico Madrid needed somebody and he was that different flavor personality wise than everybody else. But he just isn't like that at Barcelona. If anything, Gerard Piquet, I think is now Barcelona's most marketable star. Yeah, I think that's right. Although I think Ansu is, has the potential to be sure. an incredible, you know, um, you know, incredible face of the club. And, and right now I, w- I would, I would bet on Memphis. I mean, the personality sure. yeah. he brings, it's a very, it's not the kind of player we're used to having, you know, with that sort of cockiness and that really brash attitude. But man, I think that's been lacking at Barcelona for some time. I mean, I mean, we really could have used Memphis against Bayern Munich two years ago. That's for sure. You know, someone who's going to, uh, who's not afraid, basically, you know, is not going to crumble. I think he's got that mental toughness. 
He's got that assuredness about him that I think has kind of been lacking on this team. So I think there, there's there's some young players we have that I think could play that role if ever, you know if, if things work out right. And but as we know with young players, you know it, we you don't it, nothing's for nothing is for sure. I mean even Mbappe is not he's not a sure bet at Real Madrid that he's going to come in there and be a superstar. He had a terrible summer uh, in the Euros. Yep. And, uh, you know, it, it's, he's a little bit, I, I think he's a little bit flattened out over the last year to 18 months compared to the hoopla around him previously. So we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Well, Mike, uh, I mean, maybe unlike Mbappe at Real Madrid, you were the right choice to, to start and kick off our Patreon show with. So thanks so much for joining the show. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate it. Now on to part two of this show. Since yesterday and today, I realized that the Apple podcast the, the four gentlemen that I called out and thanked for leaving their reviews. Well, I forgot the international market. So for those who did international Apple podcast reviews, thank you so much to Afrin, to Romy, to Rinchen, and to Guestalex. And now time after another round of thank you to the Apple podcast, it's another thank you, another introduction for another Patreon. And that is Steve Morvey. Welcome to the show, Steve. Hey, Dan. Nice to be here. Thanks. So since I spoke to Mike yesterday, and again, for full discretion, I spoke to Mike last night and I'm talking to other two patrons today. And since that time, Steve, I said yesterday that Cristiano Ronaldo was heading to Manchester City and now he's on his way to Manchester United. It's pretty much confirmed. And so the first thing I have to ask you, it, it doesn't change much from what I said with Mike yesterday about how the transfer market is kind of broken. But do you look with now Ronaldo moving as well? Do you look or do you think we'll look back at this transfer window as being the worst ever? Or is that we're looking we're going to have to look forward to this every summer where big names basically just play musical chairs. Well, I, I, I think, I don't know if it'll be the worst ever. It may be the craziest ever, especially with how much movement is happening right up against the deadline. You know, we had Ronaldo going to city yesterday. Evidently he was in a WhatsApp uh, group chat where a whole bunch of uh, former players pounded him and shamed him. And uh, now he's decided to go to, uh, back to uh, Manchester United uh, in order to preserve his reputation. So, yeah, it, it just seems crazy that everything's happening so late. Whether or not it's good or bad for the league, I'm sort of on the fence with that. I think it's exciting when big players move around. And I, I, I think there's always going to be these super wealthy super teams. And an, an absolute parody, I don't know if it's good for the league. And uh, I, I enjoy when there are a few... Uh, teams that spend a lot because it doesn't necessarily guarantee them anything. The team, the team still has to perform on the field. You look at PSG last year, they didn't even win the league and they spent a ton of money. So, you know, they, the, the expectations I think rise, the more money a team spends, but they still have to produce. And um, I think it's going to be an interesting last few days. I don't think it's over yet. I think you, you know, we're hearing about Holland now, maybe taking Mbappe's place. Mbappe's move to, uh, to Madrid hasn't even been finalized. So I would say crazy, not necessarily horrible. Yeah, it is an odd thing that these moves will be judged based on the success of those moves. And you're right that there is some Schadenfreude where everybody around the world that in 2009, 10, 11, 12, 15, were dominated by FC Barcelona. Of course, there are fans of those other quote-unquote big clubs that are very excited to watch Barcelona overspend and not get what their dollar was worth and to fail. And you see that. And so, yes, for Manchester United, who, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo, you argue, doesn't bring them any closer to the Champions League. And if for anything for Juventus, I don't know if it takes them farther away from the Champions League either. I think it might just be a, a no-no move. 
And that's kind of what I was speaking about with Mike yesterday that we want to over extrap. I mean, even extrapolate on that. I don't know, having seen the failures of Messi at Barcelona in, the, in recent years, how many players in world football truly do shift the balance of a Champions League winning side or not. I mean, and I think we and let me let me be explicit by saying that after the fact, we say, hey, these are the ones that 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 change things. Right. So if Man City had beaten Chelsea in the spring, then Kevin De Bruyne and that transfer and what and his whole story and his whole Wolfsburg and Chelsea and now for Man City and that all that whole narrative would have mattered. But because in hindsight, they came up short, that narrative doesn't matter as much. And so I, I do wonder that, of course, there will always be narrative about which players turn the tides, like Ngula Kante, right? He's one of the ones that turned the tide, if you will, going from Leicester City to Chelsea. But, but, but do you think that players as, as a whole just aren't really going to be tipping the scales in that way, in the same way that Kylian Mbappe, even going to Madrid, might not tip the La Liga race? It still might be Atletico Madrid or Barcelona or Sevilla. Yeah, and from a, from a competitive standpoint, I don't know if it tips the scales all that much, but from a marketing standpoint right. and from a visibility standpoint around the world, it makes a lot of sense for these owners to spend that kind of money for the return they get, you know, especially post COVID when we start filling up the stadiums again, people went to vacation because Lionel Messi was a tourist attraction. And, and I went there twice to, to pay homage. I mean, I'm, I went there to see the team that I love, but you know, I really wanted to see Messi. And, and even though I'm a cooler through and through, I want to see Messi again. So I probably will stop in Paris on the way to Barcelona uh, for a twofer at some point, because I, I just think that there are players that, that transcend the sport. And there, there are players that move the needle and that we anticipate they're going to do something for their team and they're going to you know bring the team more silverware. That's not guaranteed. What is guaranteed is that the that their visibility will be raised and they will sell more shirts and uh, they'll get more advertising money. And uh, that, that pays off for the club, I think uh, more certainly than it does in, in silverware. Yeah. And Steve, speaking of those fans, the fans are back at the camp. No, just as they were back at the same MS. And, uh, you know, I think we do a little bit, and this is on me too, because I, again, my heart rate never goes above 60 when I'm watching a match, but yet fans all over the world do change results, especially in a place like a SMMS. And oh. in theory, at the camp, no, it should. And so it is worrying about the season ticket situation, but there is a silver lining that other fans are going to get the chance to fill up that stadium. And there are enough Barca fans around the world that I have no worries about the camp, new. No, with with ticket availability so it's a headache for the ticket department so god bless them but uh there'll, there'll be fans in those seats and it's funny you mentioned that too because we do forget what it even means for young football players where young players for the last year or so even a pedri it's felt like wow this kid's so ready to play and i actually wonder if it's counterintuitive that the fans not being there made it a little easier on those younger players because you and i were just talking and i want you to tell this story you saw Ansu Fadi's debut and i actually wondered after you told me that story if Ansu Fadi's debut might have been different without fans. Yeah, that's for sure, because um, I splurged on that particular trip. That was my second time to the Camp Nou, and I decided to buy VIP tickets. I had some money saved, and I said, okay, if I'm going to fly all the way, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and spend the big money. And I was able to get into the VIP suite, and I saw you know, the president, uh, who I didn't know would become public enemy number one at that point. And uh, so when the uh, warm-ups started and then the teams went back into the dressing room, they turn on the sprinklers like they normally do to, to spray down the field. And then the teams come back. And one of the last players 
to go to kick the ball around was Fatih. And he walked down the stairs and then up the little couple of stairs to get onto the field. And right when he went through the uh, little, not dome, but uh, the little archway, he quickly uh, 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 went back the other direction and he had this look of terror in his face. And he turned around, he looked back at, at the archway again. And one of the coaches came up to him, put his hand on his shoulder to try to calm him down a little bit because the fans were going nuts because most of the fans had heard so many great things about this uh, young Barca B player who's going to make his debut today. And he just looked terrified. And, you know, eventually he went out there and, and comported himself well. I think he came on as a sub later on. Yeah. And that was that was the Griezmann um, confetti game where he had planned. He had, I don't know if it was a, an employee or a fan that he knew that had this bucket of, of this, not paper confetti, it was like plastic confetti. After his second goal, he went over there and like he announced that he arrived and uh, he, you know, the money was well spent. But, but going back to your, your point, if it had happened during COVID and there had been no fans, I think it would have ran right out there. But when you have 60, 70,000 fans screaming at you, that, that could be overwhelming for a teenager. I think also he had Messi on his side, as we saw later on when he, I think he scored his first goal with Messi on the field. Yeah, and I then they, they, had that, they had that picture of Messi giving Fatih a hug in the, in, yeah. in the, in the rampway. And that just, you know, that means a lot to a young player like Fati. And um, I'm happy he's healthy again. And I can't wait to see him uh, do well this year because uh, it looks like in training, he's right back uh, with the first team. And he he posted a video today on his Instagram of him dunking a basket, which I thought was um, risky. <laughs> risky. Yeah. yeah. But um, but OK, I, I guess he's uh, I guess he's confident enough to dunk a basketball and he's ready to play. And um, it was just great to see him in person. And uh, I saw some of his family back at the hotel and they were excited. And, you know, he had everybody there and everybody was pulling for him. And uh, it was just up for him to run out into the field. And it was a it was a fun time. Yeah. And whether Fatih comes back, I mean, even 70 percent of what he was, even if he scores, looking at the expectations, I think the expectations, even at 70%, if Fatih is healthy indeed, then I think you should expect seven to 10 goals. I would assume that if he's back, he's going to far exceed that. You're talking 13 to 15, but I'd say at this point, you'd expect that Fatih, you're going to hope that he's going to score between five and seven, eight goals in let's say 25 appearances or 30 appearances, whatever it takes to, to get him back. But that said, I've been having a hard time, Steve, tying the potential of Fatih returning this year to the expectations on the club. But the way Memphis has begun, makes me think that maybe the expectations for this season are the same, regardless of whether Fatih's healthy or not. Same thing with Dembele, that if Dembele is healthy or not, I think actually doesn't matter because the 11 we see on the field and because there's no cavalry coming, I ask you, Steve, the final question for you here is, what are your expectations for the season? And I guess, is there one or two big factors that'll change how you feel about this year that could change in you know February or March, aside from injuries, which are obvious that you know they change the fortune of a team? I'm, I'm assuming, I'm hopeful that everybody's healthy. And if everybody is healthy, you know, I had, I had great expectations uh, for Memphis based on his form in the Euros. I was like, wow, this guy is really looking good. And we, when he came with this kind of energy, he's got uh, uh, Braithwaite energy with a higher skill set. And uh, I like that. I like fours at press and, I'm, I'm actually very optimistic. I'm still in the anger stage 
of the stages of grief over the loss of Messi. I have a hard time forgiving club executives that 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 bungle something that massively, and um, and so I'm I'm dealing with that. But um, in terms of the club and and where they'll end up at the end of the season, I think they can uh, contend for you know the La Liga for sure. I think they can be yeah. in the top three. I think they'll be uh, definitely in the top four, and I uh, and, and maybe uh, I don't expect the, them to do anything in the Champions League, but maybe uh, Copa del Rey get down to the semis or finals for Copa del Rey. I don't like to I don't like to have to underset my expectations. I guess it's safe to do that because if they exceed them, then you're happy. But I always want my team to do well. Mm-hmm. And uh, just like my favorite baseball team, the Giants now, they, they nobody expected them to win anything over 70 games. And now they have the best record in baseball. So they've over uh, they've overachieved. But I always expect the Giants to do well. And I, I always expect Barcelona to do well. And, and so I'm hopeful. And I think they have definitely have the players if they remain healthy uh, to contend for the title. Absolutely. Sure. And I really appreciate your time, Steve. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Dan. I I really appreciate it. Last but not least, our third and final Patreon for this edition of the show, our annual Patreon special is Marat Rinden. How's it going today, Marat? Very good. How are you, Dan? We're doing okay. So I talked to the other two patrons about the transfer window, about the UEFA draw from yesterday. But for you, I did promise that there are some listener questions that I wanted to get into with Marat today. So we're going to start right out of the gate with a question from Dirk. Out of the trio of Griezmann, Coutinho, and Dembele, who, if anyone of them, is a player most likely to find success at Barca this season and overall in the post-Messi era? And the caveat I do add to this is that Dembele potentially might be there the longest because it seems like the contract talks of his renewal are going in a positive direction, whereas Coutinho, it's really about either you know getting that down to the, the edge of that clock in 2023, and then for Griezmann, it's it's... Hard to see where he'll be and when and how long he'll be at Barcelona, but uh, he's also said he wants to go to the U.S. in a few years. But uh, yeah, I'll let you answer first, Marat. What do you got for those three? Yeah, so uh, I I think uh, I'll probably start with Coutinho just because he's the most kind of like up in the air. He's in a bit of a weird position, as we all know, uh, because Barcelona is obviously trying to offload him. But uh, so far, there are no takers for obvious reasons. Uh, You know, just his performance over the last couple of years and his uh, really high contract. So ideally, we would not actually claim probably that's that that would be the ideal situation. But since we have him and we are paying a lot of money, uh, might as well play him. Um, at the same time, there's also the situation with us. Obviously, if he plays a number of games, then we have to pay more to Liverpool. And as we all know, we're in a financial situation where we're actually counting every penny. So that's not going to be ideal either. But if he does play, I do like Coutinho and uh, I actually follow Liverpool a lot too. So I, I liked him a lot when he played at Liverpool. Unfortunately, it didn't work out for him at Barcelona so far. Uh, but a lot of people have been saying that that's because of Messi and kind of Messi was uh, getting in the way. It's, not, it's a little bit similar to uh, Griezmann as well. A lot of people are saying that Griezmann, uh, when he came to Barcelona, has basically been played out of position. And that's been one of the reasons behind his performances not being uh, as good as uh, one would expect for a player that costs that much and we are paying so much. So I, I, I think that... Uh, Coutinho could be useful, but I'm not sure really. Like we have so many uh, good young midfielders as well. Like, you know, like Gavi and Ricky Pooch is not getting any playing time. And, you know, there's Pedri plays pretty much 90 minutes every time he's available. And there's Nico Gonzalez as well. So there's a lot of, uh, a lot of playing time to go around in the midfield. 
so I'm not sure exactly when Coutinho, where Coutinho could fit in. Uh, in terms of Griezmann, I really like Griezmann, actually. I think a lot of the criticism that's coming his way has been a little bit unfair. I think not everybody understands what he actually does on the field in every game. Uh, he's a really hard worker. Uh, he's a very good technical player. Um, unfortunately, of course, people are looking at the, the amount of goals that he scores and the amount of chances that he, he does miss at Barcelona, and that's why he's getting a lot of flack. And if you actually look at the way he's playing for France, you know, I don't know the exact numbers. You, you probably have them because you have all the numbers all the time. But uh, it just seems visually when you watch him play for France that his conversion rate is much higher than when he plays for Barcelona. And I don't know if it's because of the position that he plays or, or some other reason, but that's definitely the case. So I would definitely hope that Griezmann uh, would benefit the most out of all the, the three players that we mentioned, because I think he's probably the most talented. Uh, not to say that Dembele is not talented as well, but Dembele is also, uh, you know, not very durable. He's constantly getting injured. So just as we get excited about him playing, it seems like he gets injured again and then he's out for another two or three months. Uh, so it's, a, it's been like this stop and go for him all the time. But when he's on, he's really on. But at the same time, I also would probably compare Dembele to, uh, he reminds me a little bit of actually a player that caused us a lot of problems in the last, in the last game, Inyaki Williams. He's very fast. He's very good one-on-one but he, he does not finish a lot of his chances. Uh, so that's the, where the frustration with him comes in. Yeah, I mean, last time Dirk said that both Francesa and I picked Coutinho, and Dirk tried to go back and listen to that. I couldn't necessarily find it. But uh, yeah, looking at Griezmann, Coutinho, and Dembele and the positioning of Griezmann, for France, you see why he succeeded so well now going back to the World Cup with Olivier Giroud. He plays well next to a traditional number nine, Diego Costa or Giroud. So if Barca ever in the next year or two does get an actual, not a Brothwaite, not a Minaj, because even they, even Brothwaite played winger for Denmark. I'm talking actual number nine. If Barcelona mm-hmm. were to have that, then I think Griezmann, you could potentially get the best out of him where he would finally play as that secondary striker. And you don't have to worry about Messi clogging that space or Messi wanting to operate in that space. And then, you know, it's interesting because, yeah, now if I were to rank it, Coutinho would be number three on that list as far as likely to succeed. And then I'd say Griezmann, because again, I don't still, even in the system coming off that right wing or even playing in the middle of the false nine, I, I still don't get it. I still don't see it. And for Griezmann, I think you're right. He does get a lot of flack because he's still going to get to his numbers. He's still going to score 10 goals. He's still going to score 12 or 15 or whatever it is in La Liga. He'll still get his three to four in the Copa del Rey. He'll still get his two or three in the Champions League. And it'll be another fine season for Antoine Griezmann, but he won't set the world on fire. So it'll feel like it wasn't a success. So then for Dembele, I think we're tempering our expectations because of the injuries every year, sure. But if Dembele is right, and if Dembele is right for a large amount of time, I think he has the most upside in supporting what Barcelona would like to do with Memphis and Fatih and that midfield trio of even eventually De Jong and Pedri and whatever, whoever that third may be. I think that Dembele does fit that system, that program, the way that Barca would ideally be set up coming in off the wing. Because you do need a traditional winger with Memphis and even with a Fatih, as Fatih will continue to cut in and really have an emphasis on getting himself more in the middle. Again, as he continues to age, even though most of his, was it, over half of his goals from the last two seasons have come inside the penalty box or around the penalty box. So it's not like Fatih is some out-and-out winger either. Fatih is this just all around great four. That's why he has this great potential. So yeah, speaking of this really young team, the other question for you, Marat, from Steven. So Messi is gone. I know that's no surprise to anyone here. So it's mostly a young team. So Steven asked, and I want to change your question a little bit, Steven. He asked, do you think it's now Xavi time? But I want to add that to be almost an if-then statement, Marat. So if what happens, then Xavi becomes the manager of Barcelona. 
if what happens, um, I think if Barcelona is, gets off to a, a really bad start in the first half of the season and Kuman actually ends up getting, uh, getting fired, I think there's a chance that uh, Xavi might come in halfway through the season. Personally, I think that he would be great uh, with the young players. He knows Barcelona very well. Uh, but I just worry about the fact that he really does not have a lot of coaching experience at the top level. You know, I, I don't know how well his uh, playing, him, him as a player, will translate to, to him being a manager uh, because right now he's obviously in the, in the league that I'm not. I think most of us are not very familiar with and are not really, it's probably not really high-level league uh, overall. And he hasn't coached anywhere in Europe. He hasn't even coached like a top 10 team in any of the top five leagues. So that's where my worry would come in. Uh, this, uh, but at the same time, you know, at the same time, I think uh, Pep Guardiola had kind of a similar path, um, except he, I think he coached the, the B team before he came to, to the, the, the main Barcelona team. So I would like to see Xavi either coach the B team first or maybe get a, a, like a, a one or two years under his belt in, in one of the top five leagues, coaching one of the top five teams in those leagues before he comes to Barcelona. Well, we'll have to see. I think that the faith is going to be in Kuman for quite some time, even if he's not Laporta's man. The state of the club kind of needs that steady hand. And it's been comforting to me to know that for as much as there's been turmoil with Messi out, with Laporta taking over in March, that Ronald Kuman has kind of been the through line through all of that. So, uh, you know, I, I keep a little bit of hope on that end. But Marat, I want to thank you for joining the show. I know it was a quick stop by, but we got to our Patreon. So a special thank you today to Mike and to Steve and Marat for helping me do this. You can, uh, instead of going through the normal outro, we're on Twitter, Instagram, you know, we're there. We're on Facebook as well. But these three were our Patreons that decided that they wanted to do the show. We do have other Patreons, but we appreciate the three who chose to take part in our yearly listener show. So thank you so much to those three. And remember, you can also listen to the shows without the ads over on Patreon. It's also, again, a little financial incentive to support the show. And we're also on YouTube as well. So thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. And Force Barca and Marat, because you were Patreon number three, you get to, you get to take us out. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, having me on. I'm a huge fan of the show. I've been listening probably, I discovered you about eight or nine months ago and been telling absolutely everybody is the best Barcelona podcast. Uh, listen to absolutely every episode from beginning to the end. Uh, so I was very excited to be on. Thank you for having me. All right, well, let's, let's end it. And for the Barca. Barca. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.